just because you're in the sporting industry doesn't mean that you have to be on the field. You can be the sports agent. You can do sports medicine. You can do sports marketing. There's so many aspects to sports. The same thing carries on to real estate. You can be the agent. You can be the appraisal. You can be the builder. You just got to pick what you're good at, find your niche, and perfect your craft. Simple as that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Oglesby and Scott Show. This podcast holds the belief that business and investing are team sports. We drop gems to help you turn your capital into generational legacy. We're sharing with you the best stories of successful African-American business owners and entrepreneurs. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Now, here are your hosts, Miss Flippin' in Heels, Roshana Scott, and Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby. Charles Oglesby. This is the Oglesby and Scott Show. Welcome you all. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire, founder of Todd Capital, Todd Capital Options Community. And all those cool things you're doing over there. We got Rashana Scott in the building. How you doing, Rashana? Good. How are you? Good, good. We got the realtor of the year. You know, she's doing some really cool things, always leveling it up. Um, but we have a special guest. We have the brother named Patrick Henderson. He is a real estate developer, which is cool. Ground up developer, um, custom homes, high-end homes, celebrity clients, athlete clients, so you guys are definitely in for a treat. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good, good. Um, so the first question is, can you tell people a little bit more about you? <clears throat> sure. Um, Patrick Henderson. I'm a native from San Jose, California. Um, moved here to Atlanta back in 2001. I cut my teeth in the IT industry. I used to own an IT company. Uh, jumped into real estate back in 2004. Uh, started doing your major fifth flips. Um, actually, back then it was paint carpet, you know, something minor. The market crashed back in 2006. And then I went back into the IT realm. And in 2013, I got in full steam ahead with the uh, real estate development, started doing, you know, popping the top on a lot of houses, um, adding, you know, square footage, and then started to do new construction. And um, I've kind of evolved to where I am now doing the high-end, modern, new construction development builds here in the Atlanta market. Um, so before we go too deep into your story, tell us a little bit about what life is like growing up. <laughs> I mean, life is like growing up, you know, I've been an entrepreneur all my life, um, you know, two-parent household in California, you know, actually one of my very first jobs, I worked as a sky cap over at American Airlines at San Jose uh, Airport. And uh, from then, it was just a matter about just finding ways to make my own money, you know, from, you know, paper routes to, you know, lemonade stands when I was younger. And then I just really got into, you know, really being entrepreneur and entrepreneurial ways. So it was really good. Did you play any sports? Football. Football and baseball, That's a, actually. It was like you have like an athletic build. How far did you yeah. go in sports? So just a little bit of college ball and then football and then after I left college, I actually got into the pro flag football circuit. I actually still do that today. Now more so on the uh, coaching side after I got injured, but um, we travel all across the world um, playing professional flag for money pots. Oh, wow. Gotcha. Okay. So um, you mentioned that you, um, you used to own a tech company. And um, so what was that business like? Just even building, growing, scaling. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So when I came out, I went to college at Tuskegee University in Alabama and I came out in 99 and I went to back to California to work for a software development firm. And um, I actually really got into the data warehousing business intelligence arena um, learned as much as I could, transferred here to Atlanta in 2001, and I really started to take on a lot of clients that I was working with when I was at that tech company and I actually started my own consulting firm and, you know, just traveling all over the country and international doing data warehousing, business intelligence for a lot of your Fortune 500 companies. Um, same thing goes for uh, dealing with the government. You know, one of my clients was the U.S. Senate, the Department of Defense. 
Um, I did work for Capital One, Key Bank, MetLife. I mean, you name it. Uh, I was in these high level organizations and I was really working on working with the business management, really trying to help them understand how they could manage the data within their organization. So, and then taking that and scaling that and making sure that I had other consultants, not only, you know, on my current projects, but other projects that I had uh, won the bids for. Nice. And then um, growing and scaling that company, like what did that look like? How many employees or consultants were you working with at any given time? We kept it pretty lean. Um, So I was only at a given time, probably anywhere uh, about eight uh, individual consultants at different projects sites. Um, Very, very lean, being able to get them out on different contracts and um, go from there. Nice. And why did you transition from that or how did you make the transition from that, from tech, then going into real estate? Well, one of the things that I I found was that I didn't really have my own time at that point in time. You know, I was in a different city every single week, Monday through Thursday, I was traveling and, you know, at the beck and call of different clients. Um, although it was my company is still was actually really having to keep a certain schedule in order to keep the level of um, of kind of input or an output that I needed for my particular clients. And um, I decided that I wanted to have a little bit of my own time back. And so I decided to transition into something that I really had a passion about, which was the real estate arena. Nice. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I feel as though, you know, in this world, in this day and age, everybody's like, oh, quit your nine to five, become an entrepreneur, you know, fire your boss. Right. And it's like, it's still work, right? Like you said, you own your own company, but you are still working. And especially when you're in a service-based business, like you're showing up for your clients. So, um, you know, at some point you work, 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 and you have all of this success, but you start to realize like what's really important to me. Um, I mentioned this previously, um, I think on a, uh, on another episode where um, I have had and still have the opportunity um, like to become um, a property manager. But I'm like, mm, is that what I want to really want to do? I'm like, I don't think I want to be on the beach and somebody's calling me saying like, my building is on fire. <laughs> Although it can be very profitable. I can like, I literally... I can start it today and it'll be booming, you know, next week, right? Like my clientele is there literally like I'm selling buildings to, you know, these investors who in turn, they all are, the majority of them are out of state. They need that service. Right. And so I realized that there's an opportunity there, but I'm like, is that really truly my end goal and what I want to do? And so I'm glad that you brought that up that even though you had a successful business and you were running that, like you, you know, there were still some areas of your life that you weren't fulfilled in. And, you know, from the outside looking in, so many people say, oh, well, you, you know, you're doing your own thing. You're a boss. You got it all together. You should be happy. And you should just continue doing that. (laughs) Yeah. The crazy thing about it is I was in a different city. I was living out of a hotel, um, out of a suitcase. And, you know, I come home and then I'm back in Atlanta and I have to live my life and any other business endeavors I have here in Atlanta from, you know, Friday through Sunday. And then I'm back on an airplane. It got mm-hmm. to the point where right now I am titanium for life with Marriott because I spent so many nights inside of a hotel and it's cool in the beginning, but after a while, you're just like, okay, enough's enough, you know? So yeah. it is what it is. Um, First, you... I'm gonna say, way before Charles starts, I know who I'm going to call when I need uh, a Marriott <laughs> stay, when I need some points. <laughs> um so when when you ended up getting out of the business did you sell it did you just let it go what did that exit look like so for me you know i let some of my consultants they transitioned on as they picked up um other clientele you know i just kind of let it go dissipate it's crazy because even today i have clients that still are seeking out our services and i've been removed from that industry since 2013 and i just have no desire to be back in the tech industry at that capacity, make great money. Um, it set me up for a good while and, and it helped fill my real estate business. Um, but it just has no desire. I have no desire for it. Yeah. So real estate, were you doing deals while you're in tech or did you completely just like, no, I was after doing, you got out of tech? I was doing deals in tech. Um, it was crazy because in 2004, I got out of tech for a while and I started doing real estate. You know, we were doing a deal a month and, you know, it was rewarding. Wow. But the problem was that in, in 2006, when the market started to crash, 
I couldn't sell my houses. Like I had houses at the closing table, but the bank stopped lending. So therefore my buyers could not close on the deals. And so I kind of got gun shy about the real estate side of things. And I got out of it completely, went strictly back into the IT, you know, because of my bread and butter. I knew it backwards and forwards. Um, but I had a Jones for the industry. So 2013, you know, I I stuck my toe in the water a little bit, started to do a deal here. And I said, you know what? I want to get back full steam ahead, you know, cancel out all the noise, get rid of all the fears that I had and jump full steam ahead on it. So what did your lessons look like? Um, pre-crash? Yeah, because a lot of people who who went through a crash, they implemented all the things that they may have messed up on or overstepped on or over-leveraged into their new come up. (laughs) So one of the crazy things that I did was, one, I learned the lessons about, you know, over-leveraging, making sure that I'm not over-leveraged on these certain deals. I don't buy impulse any longer. Um, It's all about the numbers. You know, when I do a deal, the numbers have to make sense. And I'm not going to push it if it doesn't make sense, because I find you'll get yourself in trouble. But in addition to that, I ended up going to the high-end market. The high-end market um, gave me um, the ability to deal with people who were, quote unquote, recession proof. Um, when the market crash or it has a market correction, you're dealing with people in the million dollar sector who are not as affected as middle America is affected um, for their home purchases. Because a lot of times, a lot of the people who are buying the million dollar homes and above, you know, they're cash heavy. And so therefore, you know, they're not affected by job losses as much as some of the other. Now they're more financially savvy. However, if they're getting ready to make a move on a house such as this, they pretty much have the money. Hey ladies, this is Rashana Scott. And are you looking for a community of women real estate investors? If so, I want to take a quick second to share with you Infinity Membership. Sorry, fellas, but Infinity Membership is a women's only online community for newbie and experienced investors. Come let your hair down and join a non-judgment zone sisterhood where all of your questions about investing in real estate get answered. This is also an opportunity to learn from the best of the best. Other seasoned and successful women in the industry share their success tips often. Our live group sessions are twice a month and we support each other daily within our private Facebook group. Our sessions range from driving for dollars to working with contractors to out-of-state investing, raising private capital, marketing your deals, and so much more. Does this sound like something that you've been looking for? Well, we would love to have you. For more information, visit us at bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. What did your first high-end deal look like, numbers-wise, build-out-wise? One of the first high-end deals, and this was just under a million. So I did this one for 800 grand. Um, I purchased the house for 400, and uh, I ended up putting another 200 into it, and then it ended up going for eight. And then when I started getting into the modern sector and really started to go high-end, I did the purchase at 245. Um, I put 650 into it and then it ended up selling for 1.887. You said the purchase, you're buying a building, you're buying the land. I bought a house and demolished it. Really? Yeah. So that's kind of been my MO, um, especially in the area that I'm doing a lot of my development. Um, and is I'll go and I'll find property that may have already had a structure on it. I'll demolish it and then I'll go ahead and, you know, improve it with a new construction build and sell it north of a 1.5. Hold on, hold on, Roshana. Um, I have two questions. I want to know what the process is for getting like the approval to demo a property. And then I also am curious to know why, because some people, they would just fix what's there instead of knocking it down. Why do you prefer to demo it instead? So I've, I've done a lot of renovations over the years. And a lot of times when you buy a house that's already there, you never know what's behind the walls. Um, and so what I found out is it's easier to start from scratch, especially if I'm doing a major, major renovation. You know, I've taken houses and I've put another three or $400,000 in the renovation side of it. But if the numbers make sense, I definitely prefer to knock it down. Um, the demo process to answer your first question is, I similar similarly have to go ahead and get you know your survey, your architecture, your site plan, and apply for the demo permit to demolish the house, and then turn right around and have the plans ready to go to do the build on there. But the numbers just make sense, especially in the area that I'm in. I can buy a house at a half a million 
and tear it down and still make great profit on a new construction. So how long does that usually take waiting for like the city, the plans, the permits, you know, the turnaround? It all depends upon the municipality. But here in DeKalb County, Georgia, um, it can go anywhere between two to four months, depending upon you know, the time of year that you get started and, you know, pre post or during pandemic, you know, what's going on in the climate that we have today. But um, generally I'm two to four months on that permitting, depending upon what I'm doing. DeKalb County, is that um, like where East Lake is the golf course? Uh, no, well, that's right outside of East Lake, East Lake. Um, parts of it can fit inside DeKalb County, but it's not oh, far. Okay, right. Because my grandma lives in Decatur, and I didn't know they was putting million dollar properties over there. Oh, we got several. <laughs> now you got you got to understand. There's multiple sides of Decatur. Right. right you know, right. you have South Decatur, you got North Decatur, um, East and West, and I'm doing a lot of my stuff in the North Decatur. You'd be surprised. We're getting ready to do a three million dollar house here in Decatur. Wow. Wow. Um, people when they think luxury in Georgia, they think Alpharetta, they think Buckhead. Um, are you kind of like a, a new person leading the charge in, in Decatur or DeCab or? Well, not a new person leading the charge, not for building, but for the type of building that I'm doing. I'm doing a right. uh, heavy modern development. And so in this particular sector, you know, I am one of the um, few African-American uh, developers that are in this area. And then also going from the high end perspective, um, I'm in this market doing that as well. So if somebody they're new to real estate, maybe they've done a flip or two rental properties and they're like, hey, I want to get into development. How would they go about doing that? Um, one, I would ask them that they or tell them they need to lock arms with somebody who's currently doing it. Um, oftentimes people decide they want to jump out there, which that's how I did. But you really want to lock arms with somebody that can um, give you some knowledge that you can lend on some of their mistakes um, that they can actually use that to move forward. I actually do that for a lot of people. Actually, anyway, I have a I have two series. I have a series called the Launcher Learning Circle, which is a real estate uh, a networking organization where people come on a Saturday once a month. We bring it the lawn chairs and we just talk about real estate. We talk about all aspects. I have a speaker that come in. And we're talking about whether it's framing or HVAC or whatever the case may be, um, lending to insurance and it allows newbies as well as people who are experienced to really one network with other peers of theirs. But number two, to really get some knowledge and insight that they don't already know. Secondly, um, secondarily, I have a series. It's a masterclass that I teach, a development masterclass. And what that does is it helps uh, people come in to the real estate arena and go from ground zero all the way through to the end of their construction. We talk about all the testing that needs to be done. We talk about the plans, the surveys. We talk about, you know, doing your budget. We talk about how to find a property, how to fund a property. And then we take you all the way through the construction life cycle, even through the exit strategy of the property. In regards to that, um, I wanted to ask, um, I know you said like you got into development because um was was that the first deal that you did getting back into the market after the crash like you jumped right into development or you did a couple of flip first flips first and then you were like um you know i, I think i'm gonna try my hand going this route well what i did was i purchased the property and i decided that i was gonna pop the top um and so we took a house that was downtown atlanta where i bought the house for $120,000. And I put another 200 on top of that. And we just basically added a second story. And as I went through my iterative process, I found that it was the same level of work. Dealing with your, you know, million dollar houses versus dealing with your $300,000 house, you're still doing the work. It's finishes and fixtures that is really the difference in that price, as well as location, obviously. But if I was going to do the same amount of work that I was doing for a $300,000 house, I might as well up the ante and go for the bigger bag. Yeah, yeah which makes which makes sense. Um, oh. and we, we hear that often. Pop in the top. Yeah. What's the, I mean, it's obvious, but like for the listeners, can you explain to them what that is and why you would do something like that? Sure. So basically, if I were to find... So, in Atlanta, you have a lot of older homes that exist that were one story um, bungalows, 1,200 square feet, 1,300 square feet. And the best way in order to gain square footage when the land is not as extensive is, is that you go up. So we take the roof off, add a stairwell into the house, and then we add additional uh, square footage to the top of the home. Now increasing the value and increasing the size of the home, now your sales price could actually increase on the sale. Or if you go with the short-term rental 
apparel market that I do quite often, it's now I got more heads in beds because I have more bedrooms and bathrooms in order to rent out. Yeah. So that's that's so popping in top. It simply means taking the top off the house and add a second story. It just makes so much sense to do stuff like that, especially in older communities. Um, I know L.A. has a lot Absolutely. of single story homes. And I'm looking like, why, why haven't they just doubled the square footage up top? It makes a lot of right. sense. <laughs> right. You know, and, I, I go back to California quite often and I get a lot of my inspiration back from California and Las Vegas. And I try to bring some of that, that West Coast style here in terms of some of the modern development, open floor plans, um, outdoor living spaces, things of that nature. And that's what's really appealing to the buyer here, especially in Atlanta. You're dealing with people who are coming from all across the country. It's a melting pot at this point. California, New York, D.C., Chicago, um, even Miami, people are all migrating here to Atlanta for some reason. And so being able to give them a product that is less expensive than what they traditionally pay in their current city and still being able to get a, a bigger location. Makes perfect sense. So I'm actually really interested in this development thing. Um, what kind of financing do you apply for um, if you're looking to build something ground up and even knock it down and all, all, all the, everything that it, that entails? Because it's not cheap, I'm sure. Sure. Well, it all depends upon, you know, how you're leveraged. But um there's construction financing that you can get from your local bank. There's hard money lending that you can get from um, your smaller lenders um, or hedge fund lending. Uh, you can also go private capital. Um, there's various ways in order to do it. Um, what I try to tell people is to really start to establish your banking relationships um, to really understand where you can get access to capital. There's so much money that's out there on the streets right now that anybody can really get into a deal as long as the deal makes sense. They just have to be tied in and partnered with the right people in order to show them where they can get that capital from. So when you're doing a flip, the ARV is based on the comps. You're building a custom yes. home and it likely has to be appraised to determine the true value. How do you determine what your value will be once it's done? From the front end. So a lot of times, sure. So here, here's, I believe heavily in buying the block. Um, that is one of my mottos. I generally go into an area and I get vested in a particular area, meaning that I know the demographics. I know what the buying patterns are from the buyers who buy homes in that area. I know what they're looking for, square footage, bed, bathroom counts, et cetera. And so if I'm going to push the values of a specific area, I have to do it, um, one, in tandem with other builds, meaning I can't just do one house. I have to do multiple so I can actually go in and set the market. And so really? in this pocket of, of North Decatur, there are already houses in the area that were going for, you know, around a million dollars. However, I wanted to push that market to two million and above. And so I had to do multiple deals. Um, one of the first deals I did in this area, I had a hard time getting financing because the banks didn't understand how I would take a house at $200,000, add a half a million or just above into that deal and get one point anything. They just didn't get it. And so I had to prove the model. I had to make sure that I built the product. I had to do some self-funding. I had to get uh, other investor capital to come in here and help me prove the case study that, that it actually makes sense and that I could actually get the houses sold. In addition to that, I did one, I did two, I did three, and now I have a pattern. And now banks are throwing money at me to do development in this area, and the houses are flying off the shelves before, in some cases, before I even break ground. And if I haven't broke ground, by the time I get to sheetrock, the house is already under contract. Wow. So during that first deal and that first raise, and like you said, trying to prove the product, um, like how difficult would you say it was? It was very difficult um, because the banks just didn't get it. Um, I was, I went back to my roots. I went back to a lot of my California lenders, um, to try to get them to understand because they understood the numbers. They just didn't understand how in this market it made sense. You know, generally if you're outside of Atlanta, when you think of Georgia, you think of Atlanta, you think of Buckhead, you know, like you guys said earlier, I didn't think there was million dollar houses in Decatur. Well, there are. And so I had to really show them, you know, that one, that I'm willing to put my own money into it. So I built my house in the community that I started to do development in. You know, I found a house for 230 some odd thousand dollars and then I put 700 grand into it um, and actually built in that area. I actually just sold that house and I built that house in 2018. Um, I actually sold that house a couple of months ago for 1.7, you know, so 
And it just has to be resilient. And you got to make sure that you're doing the things that's necessary in order to prove the model. Yeah. Um, when you're working with like other clients, like athletes, entertainers, do you go to them and kind of work with them and figure out what they want in the house and then you build it into the house? Or are you just building what you want and then you put it on the market and then you just attract a celebrity buyer? It's a hybrid approach. Um, yeah. Oftentimes it's something that I've already um, put together the architecture for and I'm halfway through again, the way that I market my properties, it allows um, people to actually see it without having to go on the MLS. Um, and so now those clientele are coming in and they're seeing the base understanding of what I have in terms of my division. And then I allow them to come in and customize it, whether it's a studio for a client, whether it's a court in the backyard, whether it's a swimming pool, um, they want to change out the constructs of the type of flooring. They want to go from wood flooring to marble flooring. It allows me to really customize that. I'm also getting into a point where now a lot of clients are coming and they're saying, hey, I like what you have done. I would like you to develop on this particular site. Um, and so what it would do is I would go ahead and pair them up with my architect and we kind of put together some design options and really take their vision to develop what they want in their home. So um, I want to ask, so how exactly are you marketing? Like I know you mentioned that the way you market is, you know, individuals don't have to go on MLS and they're able to come in, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So every house that I have has its own website. OK, I put up a sign in front of all my properties. It has the rendering of the house that's going to be there, the website that's out there. A person can actually log onto the website of the house. They can understand the floor plans. They can understand current progress pictures of this house. And so it's similar to going into a mall. Oftentimes people will go to the mall and they want to shop and not be bothered until they're ready to make a buying decision. And so at that point, they've already they've driven by the house multiple times. They've already been on the website and they've just seen progress pictures of how we've developed the site. They've already seen the floor plan. And when they're ready, that's when they reach out to us. We generally don't put houses on MLS. We only do it as a formality in order to record the comp. However, you know, we put it online, we have it in blogs, the real estate agents that I work with is marketing um, in pocket listings to their current agents. And so the house generally has a lot of exposure prior to being completed. And then if the house is not sold, um, then I'll turn around and put it on MLS, you know, right when I'm getting ready to go with putting the kitchen in, et cetera. But oftentimes it's sold prior to getting to any of that point. Thanks. You have a website for your home, Rashana, your homes and your listings. I don't, I need to step my game up, you know, get these gems. Was it just like the address.com? Absolutely. <laughs> I put the house address and the street name.com. And what it allows is, is a person to now drive, because again, oftentimes person is, they're already driving by the house multiple times. A person is looking in an area, they're driving up and down the street, they're driving neighborhoods, and they see a house with a sign and they see the construction going on, they'll go on to the, they'll go to the website and they'll see the floor plans, the pictures, they'll get information on pricing, and then they'll call when they're ready to make buying decisions and ask buying questions. Um, how do you market an unfinished property? I mean, with the pictures, are you showing the renderings or are you showing even in its its uh like current state? How all do you of the above. Sell that? I, I take copious pictures of all throughout the whole construction process. I'm taking That's pictures so when I'm pouring concrete. I'm taking pictures when I start my framing. I'm taking pictures when the framer comes in and they're, you know, doing certain wall decisions. I'm taking pictures of the plumber, the electrician, the HVAC. I do videos and we're uploading these things. So therefore, at the end of the day, the buyer or potential buyer is watching the progress of the house being sold prior to actually going online. Yeah. So they it's, can see multiple stages of the development cycle. It's interesting because you wouldn't think that that sells, but we just bought our house and it was brand new to build. And we just drove by it every week to go see the different updates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So imagine cool. dealing with an out-of-state buyer you know, and, you know, somebody's going to my Instagram page, somebody's going on to my website, and they can actually see some of the properties that we have available. And so from there, they're checking the progress, they're checking the pictures to really understand where we are in that process. Yeah. So Atlanta recently was in the news, kind of in the news, social media frenzy about uh, Airbnb and having to have a license and people thought Airbnb was going away. Um <laughs> Can you talk to us about your short-term rental, rental strategies? Absolutely. So I, I fell into the Airbnb uh, lap. 
um, back in 2017. So well, let me take a step back. I believe there is heavy seasonality in real estate. There is buying time, especially here in Georgia, when people buy homes, when people are just shopping, et cetera. Um, kids go to school here in August. And if your house is not ready to be sold prior to um, the kids getting ready to go back to school, your house is going to sit for just a little while. Because parents are now already settled in the area in the school districts that their kids are going into, and their mind is on other things other than buying a house in that August time frame here in Atlanta. So I purchased a house, I popped the top, did the construction, um, 3,200 square foot home, five bedrooms, four and a half bath. And the house was ready, ready the end of August. And I tried to sell it. October came around. I said, you know what? I got to find something to really help me out with the debt service of the property. And so I decided to put it on Airbnb. That was October 2017. I can count on two hands how many times that has been vacant on a weekend since then. Because people are flocking to Atlanta for whatever reason, whether it's conference, trade shows, sporting events, et cetera, the movie industry, and it's staying rented. So now you hear all this hoopla about Atlanta changing their guidelines for Airbnbs. It has to be taxed, et cetera. A lot of times people are not utilizing the app in order to do their rentals. A lot of people are not set up from a business standpoint to do their rentals. And so therefore Airbnb is not paying their taxes or their taxes is not being paid for occupancy. What happens is, is that you have all the hotelers that are losing out to some of these Airbnb hosts because people, the way that they travel are looking to stay in a place a little bit more intimate and where they can get more heads and beds. And so similar to what happened in Miami, you can no longer do a Airbnb on South Beach. Um, They tried to do somewhat similar here in Atlanta, but obviously it's not going to fly. What happened is Airbnb sent out a message to all of the hosts stating that if you are properly registered, you will be able to have your occupancy taxes paid by the guests who rent your property. And so therefore, as long as you are properly set up, you have no problem. Um, How many units do you have that are Airbnb? Just that one or do you have others? Oh, I have others. So I have three units. Actually, I'm getting ready to sell off those. And I'm actually going to start building a couple quads um, because I can quadruple Man. the revenue on one single parcel of land for that. And yeah. being that uh, a quad is still a single family, you don't have to worry about that additional zoning for commercial. So one of the things that you can run into is like, say you're trying to do like Airbnb arbitrage. It doesn't right. sound like you're doing arbitrage. It sounds like you no. own the pro- you own the property. I own all the property that I have for my Airbnb solely because I don't like to go back to fix, you know, the plumbing or the HVAC. I want to make sure that I know that everything that's inside of there is brand new. So I don't have to worry about having to always come back and update. So I generally like to do everything brand new Yeah, and I own everything makes- that I it makes a lot of sense. Um, I've been looking at an Airbnb model in uh, Atlanta. And so we were trying to do the arbitrage thing, which is the easiest to get into. And so that's why most people do it and they run up their units that way. But it's risky because a lot of these um, complexes don't want Airbnb. Exactly. And so people are doing it, but they're doing it on the low. And it's like, right. that's a ticking time bomb. <laughs> you can't. No, it, it, it absolutely is. And hence the reason why I don't like to do Airbnbs in apartments or et cetera. I want to have a single family house that I can control what's going on. I don't do Airbnbs in um, areas where they have associations. I make sure that if it's a, a, a complex that I own the complex that I'm doing the Airbnbs at. Oh, so I don't have any like issues that. from that perspective. Yeah. And the, and the numbers are great in terms of cash flow compared to long-term rental, right? Oh, absolutely. I'll never do another long-term rental again. Um, <laughs> when I first got started, I was doing long-term rentals. There's also career rental people out there who know how to not pay rent. And in addition to a time what's going on now with the pandemic, you know, they're being excused. However, the owners of the homes have to still pay their mortgage if they haven't gotten um, any forbearance on their deal. And so with the short term rental, your house is being kept up um, more because you're constantly getting it cleaned. But secondly, you have, you know, turnover people that you don't have this long term lease that you have to adhere to. Those people are only short timers. And that's the wave. I like that. Just from yeah. this conversation, I'm thinking of re- revamping my entire approach to Airbnb in Atlanta. Just buy the property and you get the appreciation. You get the higher right. cash flow. And then it just makes sense even as an investor, because let's say I keep it, however long I keep it, I can just exhaust the mortgage. And now I got an asset that somebody paid for. So 
It makes absolutely. a lot of sense. Absolutely. In addition to that, um, just being able to, you know, monetize that for your other business dealings. You know, I, I, I swear by the Airbnb. I know that, you know, from a retirement standpoint, you know, you can turn around and you can continually monthly monetize it, weekly monetize it. And then at some point, if you want to, you know, diversify your assets, you can turn around and sell the unit later and go from there. Yeah. Um. With uh, with this, for some reason, I think the people because they they're looking for like a similar to a hotel situation. So I've always thought right. it made sense to get either a condo or an apartment. But you said you're doing single family homes. Single family homes, heads and beds. I do yeah. generally four, five, and six bedroom homes because now you can turn twins into some of those rooms. Obviously, you have the king beds and others. Um, you got pull out couches. Um, you have basement areas where people can have inflatable mattresses. I have those in my units. As as well. Wow. The goal is to put as many people in the house as possible. All my units generally sleep 10 or more. Do you rent it out on a room by room basis or just people just bring the whole crew? Bring the whole crew. I rent it out on a house basis. I don't do room by room. Nice. In room by room? That, um, I don't want to have to worry about just the individual person renting it out. I do the whole house. I have not right. had any problem whatsoever. Got to think about this. People are flying to Atlanta for these conferences, for these sporting events, and they're generally bringing large groups of people. I get the graduation crowd. I get the the person who's coming in for a wedding or a bachelorette party, which I don't really care for bachelor and bachelorette parties because they tear up your house. Um, but they're coming in for family dinners, things of that nature. My units rent for four fifty a night, so wow. I yeah, I, I I do okay with the with the Airbnb energy. Todd Consultant presents the vending machine business webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and. Start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Yeah, if you live in a, if you're in a place like Atlanta or LA, the 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 rental space is huge. Like Absolutely. I tell people. I have my my car on Turo, and before I had it in like Ontario and like downtown, I put that thing at LAX. I can't stop the bookings. It's just book, 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 book. Absolutely, I, I oh. started uh, a Turo business with inside my logistical company, and so I went and bought a Jeep Wrangler, and I did that about six weeks ago. It's rented every single weekend since then, and sometimes multiple times the weekend. Um, yeah. That's at two hundred dollars a day. And uh, that's going great. I'm actually going to pick up another one and diversify my fleet as well with other cars. Then you can couple that with your Airbnb because you can say those people coming in town, don't worry about trying to find a rental. You have a house that has a car that you can deal with. Um, And I, I have quite a few lake properties that have boats. I haven't figured out that model yet about how to do the boating with the house because of the liability perspective, but I'll, I'll have that figured out soon. That's dope. Yeah, they got to they got to book a driver for the boat. Right. Ah, there it is. <laughs> the captain. They got to book the captain. So, yeah. There it is. There it is. Um, I actually just interviewed a guy who does a lot of um, short-term rentals in um, Houston, and it's interesting you talk about, like, the model of, um, you know, if you're going to do, like, the whole house or the individual, um, you know, beds, because he was saying, for one, like, if you have, um, we were talking about security and having cameras on your premises, and first and foremost, like, it has to be listed in the listing, you know, if you have cameras on on the, on the premises and then where you have them. But then also too, if you're renting out your space and you have multiple individuals in there at one time, and then there's something that happens like in the common area, you probably are going to want to have a cameras like in the kitchen and living room and things like that too, because at the basis based on, like I said, the liability, if you have one family or one group, there renting your home and then something happens. Well, obviously that problem is you can tie it directly back to that individual versus do, you do that though. That person do the- at time. Well, I know back in the day, you couldn't have the cameras inside the units or it was highly um, suggested not. 
now I think that they're allowing it. But like you said, you must disclose. Yeah, you just have uh, to disclose it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I'd be walking around. <laughs> in the, <you> know. <laughs> and so the point was that people obviously don't like it. And once they read it, you know, people do like their privacy. But the security aspect and the liability aspect is if something happens and you have multiple right. individuals in there, who are you going to blame? That's right, correct. Right, right, right. Now, another thing that I've been doing heavily is work uh, is working with the um, entertainment industry for sites for movies, TV shows, concerts, or not concerts, but um, for videos and things like that. So a lot of our modern homes, they're attractive to, you know, people who want to do a commercial or a TV show or a movie. Um, so that actually works out well from an Airbnb perspective and from the homes that I develop, even my personal home. Nice. I've done a quite a few events there as well. Yeah. So you just so, reached out and said, hey, here's some examples of my properties. Well, no. So a couple of things. One, I have it listed on the Georgia Film Commission. So, you know, they're always going on the Georgia Film Commission trying to find new locations to shoot, you know, whatever they're trying to get shot. Um, in addition to that, you have a, a site called Peer Space where people okay. are going on and they're renting places for a couple of hours or what have you. And that's where, you know, people are going for video shoots. They're going for commercials, movies, um, you name it. And so that's another way to monetize your location as well. Yeah. Um, I love the diversification. Let's <laughs> say again. I love the diversification and, and, you know, the fact of like the car being an add on, right. It's like when you're in line, you know, at Marshall's, TJ Maxx and you got all of these little little (laughs) things you don't need right before checkout, but you're just everything. Right. And so you're Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you need a car. I got a car with the house. You need a boat. I got a boat with the house. Like in addition to that, the private chef, because a lot of times people don't want to do cooking. You have a, you partner with a private chef and then you give the menu options to the guests. Hey, we can come wow. in and we can cook breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You choose. Here's the menu. Let us know a week in advance and we'll make it happen. Boom. And then you have an upcharge. Like who would not want a group of 10 people and now you got a chef? Now you're talking my language. Okay. Give me the site. Right. right. Rashana, that's her. That's <laughs> That's how she does Airbnb when she does Airbnb. She wants that chef and the car service. (laughs) You might as well take advantage. And then they all are surrounding real estate in some aspect. So, and and I say this when I do mentorship to, you know, youth, I try to say, hey, listen, you want to be an athlete, okay? Or you want to be in the sporting industry. Just because you're in the sporting industry doesn't mean that you have to be on the field. You can be the sports agent. You can do sports medicine. You can do sports marketing. There's so many aspects to sports. The same thing carries on to real estate. You can be the agent. You can be the appraisal. You can be the builder. You just got to pick what you're good at, find your niche, and perfect your craft. Simple as that. Before we let you go, what would you say was your favorite project, like your favorite custom home project? Um... It changes quite often, um, but one of them was the the one I did last uh, fall. It was actually on the lake. Um, had a chance. I went in and bought a house that had been sitting for probably about two and a half, three years um, because it just wasn't priced right. The house was, um, I purchased it for 600 grand and it was right on a, a canal on the lake. But the problem was that it, it was just functionally not right. You know, the person who had it before did drop ceilings. There were some cosmetics things that were done. There had large trees surrounding the property and it just, it just didn't sit well, but all it took was a little bit of TLC came in there, was able to, you know, renovate that, got that knocked out and, you know, two months and turned around, sold it for a million. But the reason why it was one of my favorites because it was right on the lake and it actually gave me, you know, my insight for doing lake properties. Because the lake properties, one, if it's on the water, it sails instantly. And number two, if I decide to keep it, I can turn it into an Airbnb because of the ambiance. Hence comes in the boat, the jet skis, et cetera. It really turned into something where now I'm doing multiple projects on the lake as well. One of the cool things about being a producer, I tell people, is like you get to experience the things that you produce. So by creating a lake experience for somebody else, now you got lake homes. Absolutely. By creating a cart. Yeah, so... Absolutely. And so just like one of the projects that I have right now is on the lake. I got boats out there. And when I want to go and chill out on the boat, 
I park it at one of my docks. Yeah. I'm doing, and so anytime I do a lake project, the dock is the first thing that I build. The very first thing that I build, because now while the house is being developed, you have the dock and you have a relaxating place that you can go and relax and do whatever you need to do. And, um, and you got a nice ambiance. Um, when this property, you didn't knock it down. You actually re like rehabbed it. I just rehabbed it. So I put a couple okay. hundred thousand in for the rehab. How do you determine uh, which properties you're going to keep versus sale? I always go into it to sale. Um, and however, Man. if it makes sense where I know that I can monetize it um, on multiple levels, then I decide that I'll keep it. Obviously, you know, you want to be able to maintain some of the assets that you have, not only for the now, but also for the later. So you want to maintain and hold some things. Um, and it's just multiple strategies. You know, your strategy is your whole, your buying holds versus your buying keep. And it just depends upon the deal individually, um, whether I keep it or not. Right now, mm -hmm. I have one that I have two offers at 1.7 million that I really don't want to sell. Um, because of how it's situated at the lake. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great lake house. I can put a car there. I can rent it out. Um, and then I can use it when I want to. Um, so I'm really toggling whether or not I accept the two offers that I have on it. Mm -hmm. So and then, so you don't have like um, like regular rental properties or, or no. do you? Right. I, so won't, you, I won't do a traditional rental. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. And then um, my next question was, so when you're doing a development project, um, how often are you spending time on a site? Like, would you say, are you there every day, every other every, day? Okay. Every day. Every day. I try to put my eyes on the project sites to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. I also have cameras up on all project sites. So therefore, I know when you're coming and going. Um, you know, yesterday we had a situation where the lumber was supposed to be Man, dropped so at one smart. of our project sites. And the guy said, hey, well, no, I called. It was about two o'clock. I said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm waiting on my lumber drop. And he was like, well, that dropped at 2.20. I was like, no. I said, did you drop it at my site around the corner? He I'm said, no, it's going to drop it where it is. I drove over there. I said, listen, I got the camera rolled back. And then so he called the driver and the driver had took a picture of somewhere else that he dropped another site. He hadn't even dropped my site off yet. He said, he's about to pull up at your site. I said, well, no, he's not at my site now because I'm looking at all my sites now via the camera and there's no trucks there. You know, so I know what's going on in all my projects, even if I can't physically be there at the time. But I try to yeah. go and put eyes on everything at least once a day. Where do you mount these cameras? So I mount them on the front of the street. So I have uh, obviously my tent pole. Um, I also add another pole for just cameras. I bring in a waterproof box for the cable, um, the cable modem and router. I also have backup generators. So if the power goes out, then I can actually still see what's going on. Um, and so I mount them around the house. I like it. I like it. Yep. Man, that's fire. Um, I was, I was thinking because I'm doing a flip in a pretty good part of Detroit right now. And I was like, you know what? I might just Airbnb that thing, just refi <laughs> out of it. When you're doing these, you go in there with construction financing, hard money, you're going to turn it and whatever you decide to do, either you sell it or you hold it, you just refi out all the, right. the expensive money, right? Right. For the permanent money. If a house oh. is not sold by the time that a house has a CO on it, then I'm turning around and I'm immediately refinancing it. Mm. Immediately refinancing it. Man. Yeah. I learned a ton. I'm sure we're trying to learn a ton. It was great talking to you. We have four quick questions that we ask every guest, every show. We're sure. going to fire them off to you. The first one is, who is somebody that you look up to and why? Um, I look up to my parents because um, they've instilled in me the, the value systems that I have um, and also the, you know, can't stop, won't stop attitude, you know, to things that if something is bothering you or if you see an obstacle, there's always a way around and to overcome that obstacle, not letting something get you down. What is your favorite real estate related or business book? But also we want to know about your book as well. So Think and Grow Rich um, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
Um, those are, are my favorite. And then my book, um, my book is, you know, the serial entrepreneur, um, ways to achieve wealth in real estate. And I wrote that book because I wanted to be able to tell my story and some of the tidbits needed in order to have somebody get, be successful in real estate, but also some of my successes, some of my failures, and then also being able to understand how you overcome them and really gives a, a chronological understanding of how I got to where I am. Where can they find that book? You can go on Amazon. Um, you can actually go to my website, patricklhenderson.com forward slash book. And uh, you can actually, it'll take you right to the Amazon link, patricklhenderson.com forward slash book. Dope. And we'll make sure to have that in the show notes for the listeners. Um, the next question is, what does wealth mean to you? Ah, Wealth is not only a monetary thing to me, it also is mental and spiritual wealth. Um it is the understanding that, you know, you have a legacy that you're going to leave behind. You have something that somebody's going to remember you even past when you're gone. And so you have to have that wealthy mind state, mindset as well. Um, so, and then just, just family. Um, our last question is, um, what do you think sets apart successful um, investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Um, people who are willing to take action. Oftentimes people talk about it, um, but they don't put in the action in order to take the next steps. You know, I have a different type of philosophy for myself. I was a leap and grow your wings on the way down type person. And I also was the type of person that took action. How I got started in real estate is, is that I hired a general contractor to do my development and I got a lawn chair and I popped my lawn chair on site and I watched, I asked questions. So I was in the building. And so one of the things that I have found to be tried and true is, is that in order to be successful in this thing called real estate, you have to be present in any and everything that you do, no matter if you are the janitor or if you're the one who is actually writing the checks, be present. 100%. Awesome. Um, last question is actually, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? And where can they support what you have going on? Sure. So um, two websites, one, plhhomes.com, plhhomes.com. That's for my development firm. And then you got patricklhenderson.com. That's where you can find the book. That's where you can find information tying to my logistical company, as well as to my real estate firm on Instagram is Patrick L. Henderson. And then lastly, we are in the process of shooting a TV pilot um, for the networks to showcase the development life cycle. So we just wrapped on doing the filming for the sizzle reel about two weeks ago. Um, and um, hopefully you'll see us sometime next year on the TV screens. That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. We would love to share and support whatever you have. So please um, send that, you know, information over to us. Um, and thank you so much for this interview. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure Charles did. I'm definitely inspired. Um, you hit a lot of great points in, um, you know, the importance of diversifying assets, the importance of showing up, right, <laughs> on your projects, the importance of uh, learning how to pivot also, right? Um, like when you mentioned, you know, getting burned in the crash and, and but you still weren't happy being in tech. So you were like, you know what, let me, dip my toe back in and try again. So very inspiring interview. Thank you so much for sharing all that you shared today. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Let me know if you guys need anything. I'm here for you. Thank you. So this is another episode of the Oglesby and Scott show. My name is Charles Oglesby with Roshana, the realtor of the year. Scott signing off. What's going on, podcast listeners? This is your man, Donald The Voice, the official editor and podcast producer of The Oglesby and Scott Show. And listen, I just had to come in and tell you that we appreciate your listenership. And I want to give you a special offer for listening to this podcast. If you have voiceover, podcast, or video editing needs, let's talk. You can go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact, and I'll be happy to talk with you about what you need and how I can serve you. You want to sound good and look good so that people can feel good and do good as a result of listening or watching your content. And I'm here to help you make that happen. So let's talk. Go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact, and we'll talk. Have a good rest of the day. 
day, evening, morning, whatever time it is, and I'll talk to you soon.